Welcome to Browncroft. So glad you are here. I want to start off with a confession this morning. I hope that's okay. Um, when I first signed up to preach this morning, I had no idea there was a Bills game going on, uh, just so you know. Uh, so I am here in that state. I want to recognize a few people here, a few types of people. First of all, you who are here who do not like the Bills, you're welcome. That's okay. We're glad you're here. Um, some of you are here and you're like, you know what? I love the Bills, but I love Jesus more. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for joining us. That's, that's amazing. Yes, you all deserve a round of applause for that. Um, there's also those, maybe even, yes, within our community that might like the Bills, but are planning on following along during the service on their phone. Uh, let me just say officially from up front, I will not be judging you this morning. And, uh, you know, you can go ahead and, and do what you got to do. Just look up here every once in a while and give me an amen, and then we'll be good, all right? Uh, finally, we also have those of us who are joining us online, sinners, and uh, we're fine <laughs> with you. Just kidding, online people. We love you. We love you. Love you. Uh, we are going through the series here in Acts, and this is really about uh, us as a church leaning into uh, renewal. We're looking at the book of Acts as an opportunity. It's kind of a template for us to go, what was the early church like? And what might that teach us about what God wants to do with our, our community in the here and now? So that's why we're going through this book together. Rob's done a great job of leading us to this point. Today we're going to be in Acts 3. Uh, 1 through 10. But before I even get into that, I want to give you my main point before we even get there, okay? My main point is this. You cannot give what you don't possess. And let that sink into our souls for a second. You can't give what you don't possess. That's a spiritual truth. It's also a truth that we live with in, in the here and now regularly as well. Uh, when I first started ruminating about this, one illustration came to mind. And it's a show that I have watched. Perhaps some of you have. Uh, the Office. Has anybody watched The Office here? Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I hear a, a cheer. Yes. Very nice. Thank you, Christina. Um, yeah. So uh, The Office uh, is the show about a paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and it's run by a bumbling boss who makes all of the wrong decisions all of the time and is very, as the kids would say these days, cringy. Okay. So uh, this boss Though there's one episode that I actually can't rewatch. It's so awkward that I can't allow myself to rewatch it. And it's this here's the storyline. The boss, Michael Scott, has decided 13 years earlier that he is going to sponsor a group of students to go through college. He's going to pay for their college tuition. He announces this to this group of students while they are in kindergarten. And um, he follows this group of students all the way along, and now you discover these students are now seniors, and they're going to put on a celebration for him at their school. Problem is, Michael Scott doesn't have any money to actually follow through on this promise that he's given them. And so here is the reaction of Michael Scott in the moment as these students are singing for him, taking him on a tour of their school, celebrating. They've, they've made up this big event for him and they're sharing their life stories, how much this has impacted them. 
this is what he realizes. And, and, and I would not encourage you to watch this because this is the way you end up feeling watching it as well. At least I do. Just embarrassed and, and awkward and oh my goodness. Because you realize you can't give what you don't possess. Right? We can't give what we don't possess. That's what we're going to look at uh, today. Acts 3, 1 through 10, as I said. I'm going to ask, ask us to do something a little unusual for us. I'm going to ask you to stand up as we read this passage out of respect for the Word of God. And it's an opportunity for us to, to engage our bodies in a different way. So Acts 3, 1 through 10, I will read it for us together. It says this, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into them, with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what just happened to him. You may be seated. What a passage. What a story from this book of Acts that, that we can discover here together today, this morning. Let me just give you a little bit of highlight about Acts. Acts is written by Luke, and Luke is also a doctor. Okay, so we got, we got a, several doctors that go here to our con, in our congregation. Luke is a doctor, and he writes from a doctor's point of view which is really fascinating. We're going to pick out some of the things that he says from a doctor's point of view. He does this in his Gospel of Luke, and he also does this in Acts, and he uses some words in here that, that, that are unique to him. They're unique to Luke, and it's fascinating for us to discover a little bit of that. So that's just a little background uh, about the book of Acts for us. Okay, so we're going to go walk through this verse by verse together and just unpack what this might be saying to us. First of all, we run across Peter and John in the, in the beginning of this passage. Now let's put ourselves back into the framework of Peter and John if we can imagine ourselves in this moment, okay? What they have experienced over the last few months is life-changing, it's just blowing their minds, right? They decided to follow Jesus three years before this, and they left their whole way of life behind to follow him. They went through this whole journey with him, and they have just experienced the lowest of lows that they could ever experience. Because after they had decided to follow him, just a, a two or three months before this passage, they had watched Jesus be crucified. Their whole, all their hopes were in this man, and all of a sudden, their whole worlds came shattering down. Now, Peter responded to that 
with shame, a shameful situation in which he actually denies Jesus and says, yeah, I don't even know him. And he gets as far away from Jesus as possible. And he's carrying around the weight of that for a while until Jesus reinstates him. And John is carrying around a ton of trauma probably from this because if you've ever watched someone you love die, it is a traumatic experience. But not only that, he watched Jesus be crucified, the most gruesome of all deaths. And he was the only one of the disciples to stand there and watch and be present with Jesus in the middle of it all. But then both of them hear that Jesus is raised from the dead. Some women come in and tell them, and they don't believe them, and they run to the tomb where Jesus was buried. I love this. John actually puts in his gospel, I got there first, just so everybody knows. Because he wants 2,000 years later, he wants everybody to be talking about how he was really quicker than Peter. I love that. That's what I would do if I wrote that gospel. I'd be like, I beat him, just so everybody knows. They get there, and they are amazed, and then Jesus shows up to them, and and, and they are amazed. They, they don't even understand how amazing this is. They can't put into words what this is doing. And then they watch him ascend into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes and, and fills them. And now they have this presence with them unlike anything they've ever experienced before. And they're doing ministry. Peter, a couple weeks ago, Rob gave this sermon where he talked about the, the sermon that Peter gave. 3,000 people decide to, they just want to follow Jesus too out of this one sermon. It's phenomenal. If I were to describe the state that Peter and John were in during this season of their life, I would put it in this word, blessed, right? Blessed. For some of us, we, we know that feeling, that feeling of of being close with God, of experiencing him at a a level maybe that we hadn't ever experienced him before, where everything feels fresh and new and, wow, this is exciting, right? Well, then you got the other character in this story who a lot of us can resonate as well. He's simply called the lame man in this passage. In verse 2, it it gives us a little bit of a, a background to his story. A man who this passage says was lame from birth. So whatever happened, he, it was obvious that he had a, a physical deformity that from birth it was, oh, wow. He's not like the rest of us. And that deformity then followed him for the rest of his life. Acts 4.22 says this about him. He was 40 years old. So this man is 40 years old, has lived with this deformity his whole life, and has been defined by that for his whole life. You know, think about the ways that we gain our identity. It's said that, that as people, we can gain our identity in, in one of three ways. Um, what we have, like I have this house, I have this car, I have this you know, these possessions, I have this type of family, I have, right? That's one way that we can define ourselves. Another way that we can be defined is what we do. Obviously, a lot of us ask the question when when we meet somebody for the first time, what is it you do? That's one of the first questions we ask. It's always interesting when I tell people I'm a pastor, they go, oh, 
And then, then I feel like I got to re, you know, <laughs> redefine the term for them because everything gets awkward real quick. So, uh, so what you do can define you, but then also what people say about you can define you. What people say about you. So for this man, what he has, nothing other than what people give him. Who, you know, what, what do, does he do? Nothing. He doesn't do anything except for beg. He is a beggar. And then what do other people say about him? They say he doesn't even deserve to have a name. If you notice from this passage, he was a subhuman in people's eyes. They simply passed by him. He didn't even deserve to have a name. If I were to place myself in this man's shoes, I would say one word to describe him might be broken. Just this feeling of broken, helpless, people walking by, not even recognizing that you're a human. Some of us know that feeling too. And you could go through different stages of your life where this feeling comes up over and over again where we feel like we're navigating through this season of my life where I felt broken and another season where this area of brokenness comes up. All of us struggle in this realm from time to time as well. And the blessed people meet the broken people at this place called beautiful. It's a strange coincidence here that they meet at the beautiful gate. We don't know much about this gate other than the first century Jewish historian named Josephus tells us that there were all sorts of gates around the temple at this time. They were covered with silver and gold, but this one on the east side of the temple was covered with Corinthian brass, and it was breathtaking. So imagine this, the sun is coming up on the east, and as the sun peaks up over the horizon, it hits that Corinthian brass, and it just starts to glow. So the place to go, if you were entering the temple, the one place, yeah, they were all beautiful, but if you really wanted the best entrance, you would go to the beautiful gate. I was reading in my own personal time with God this week about through Isaiah, or Ezekiel, Ezekiel 43, and it had nothing to do with this passage. I just happened to be reading it, but I thought it was really fascinating that Ezekiel has this vision of the glory of God entering the, ta- the, the temple, and he says the glory of God enters through the eastern gate of the temple. And so it's almost like this prophecy is being fulfilled in that the glory of God in a way that was totally unexpected is starting to fill the temple, but in a way that that it's not just about this vision, it's becoming reality in front of them in the here and now. So what happens in this passage? It's a beautiful thing at the beautiful gate that happens. The man does what he's always been doing for his whole life. He says to Peter and John, hey, could I have some cash? They're walking by. And Peter, in verse 4, says this, Peter looked straight at him. 
looking straight at him. This word is one of those words I was given a hint about before, where it's kind of a doctor term. It's not used anywhere else. It's used in this passage only. And what it has in mind is a very intense stare, almost like you were taking an eye exam. Anybody get an eye exam in here? It's like M P Q R. What's the next line down? I don't know. Oh, I think it's an O. I don't know. That's the kind of stare. Everything is focused on that, right? Everything is focused there. That's the kind of attention that, that Peter is focusing on this man. And then it says the man gives Peter his attention. That word is the word for presence. It's also translated presence in other places. So we all know what it's like to, to be around somebody and to be physically with them but not be present to kind of have them have a glazed look in their face as you're talking about, you know, talking about whatever you're looking and they just have the glazed look in their eyes. Like, uh, you're like, you aren't here with me right now, right? As a matter of fact, some of, I was with a group of guys this week. We were talking about some of the things that for us are the dashboards in our life that we realize something underneath the surface of our life is off. Oftentimes, for a lot of us, it was we don't have the ability to be present with the people who we're with. And in this passage, this man is not just giving Peter his kind of surface level attention. He is totally present with Peter. So Peter's locked onto this man. This man is totally present with Peter in the moment. And there is something amazing and beautiful that's taking place right here in the midst of this interaction the man then expects to receive something what do you think the man is expecting to receive in this moment money yeah that's probably a pretty good guess i would say he's not expecting anything other than money that's what he's gotten his whole life that's what he's asking for. That's what he is expecting to receive. Except for in the way of Jesus, sometimes we get more than we expect. Sometimes the real thing that we need is beyond the surface. It's below that. And Peter sees, I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is seeing what this man really needs is not simply money, but healing. And he speaks into that spot in his life. And so verse 6 goes on to tell us this. It's the centerpiece of the whole story. I'll just reread it for you. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He can't give out of what he doesn't possess, but because Peter and John have followed Jesus, he can say this with authority. 
Because Peter has been with Jesus as Jesus has done this for people. And Peter has been sent out by Jesus to actually do this for people as well. If you remember in Luke, he tells the story of sending out all of these people. And they come back and they go, Jesus, we're healing people in your name. It's unbelievable. And Peter's part of that. And so he knows in the power of Jesus, Jesus' name has such authority. I can simply say to this man, walk and he'll do it. But he can only do that because he's experienced that first hand. He knows Jesus well enough and he knows the power of Jesus well enough that he can say that firsthand. And he does. And then he reaches down and grabs the man by the right hand. Other translations say he seizes him by the right hand. That actually is a term for that, that is used in fishing for catching something. When you catch them, right? And you grab them and you bring them back into the boat by the lip or whatever, you know? That's what you do. You grab them and you, you seize them. You bring them back. That's the same word. It's really interesting that Jesus told Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of people, not just a fisherman. I'm going to make you a fisher of people. You're going to do that. And in a sense, that prophecy by Jesus is coming alive in the here and now as, as Peter reaches down, grabs this man by the hand, and brings him up. It's fascinating. And then the man has a choice right? Like all of us. Am I going to believe this Peter guy who's dragging me up by the hand? And you get a sense, yeah. And then he stands to his feet. In the, in the passage, it says his feet and ankles were instantly healed. That's the only time those two words are used in the Bible. They're medical terms, again. Feet are like all the little bones inside of the feet, and the ankles are like the tendons that are, that are holding them all together. And Luke, as a doctor, is saying, I am guaranteeing you, I saw it from a medical point of view, this guy was totally healed. And so the guy stands up, and he walks, and, and you could kind of get the sense from the passage what he's doing. He's like, oh, oh, they work. It works. It works. And then he goes into the temple... And he starts jumping. He's jumping. I'm jumping. I'm doing it. I'm jumping. And he's doing box squats. And he's doing lunges. And he's, and he's probably doing squats in there. He's like, yes, it's happening. He did it. I'm a, I, I, my, my feet are working again. It's amazing. The story is phenomenal. What's just happening is it's unheard of. His life has changed. His life is absolutely changed. And the people, we're given two words about the people's response in this moment to this miracle. They're this, wonder and amazement. Wonder and amazement. Wonder, again, it's not just like, oh, wow, shouting. It's almost like you're in a coma. Like, I don't know what happened. You can't move. That's, the, that's the, how this word is used. I can't even move. They're in wonder, and they're in amazement. It's like they're in a trance. That's, what, that's how you would, you would describe that term. Like, they're in a trance. So it's not like people are necessarily shouting throughout the whole thing. They can't even speak I don't know if you've ever seen anything so amazing, you can't even speak, but that's what they're experiencing in this moment of, whoa, 
And they recognized him as the man who had sat by that beautiful gate. Now, those things happen. And sometimes Jesus allows us to experience things even in the here and now, in, in our life. You know, we get, we get a chance to experience some of that. Sometimes when we're not expecting them to. I love that about Jesus. I think for me, one of the things that I grew up in, in my history um, struggling with as a kid was loneliness. It kind of defined my childhood, I would say, this idea of just feeling alone, like not seen, just not really fully known alone. And that, that really went from my childhood all the way through my teens, and I learned to cope with that in different ways, but ultimately all I was doing was masking over that, that feeling of being alone. I remember when I was a kid um, having this gnawing sadness inside of myself. When it would get to be nighttime, I would, I would get this really depth, deep sadness about me. And I was talking with my counselor just a few weeks ago about this, as a matter of fact, and, and he said, oh, of course, John. He said, you uh, were just realizing that you had hoped that day you would be seen and known, and you weren't again, and that was disappointing, and it made you sad. And I was like, uh, stop talking to me. So... <laughs> And I think that did define me for those seasons. I, I don't really call him a counselor. He's more of a spiritual Jedi. So, um, but that's what was happening for my life. Now, I came to know Jesus, and, 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 and that did change in my life. But, but I wouldn't say it, it totally was eradicated in my life. I've, I've still gone through seasons where, where that comes back. It, it wants to rear its head. And I remember several years ago now... Um, there was a retreat that I was going to go to in a camp, and I was getting there before a bunch of college students who were getting there. I was getting there a day early. And I knew no other staff were going to be there, no students. It was just me there alone. Now, some people would think, wow, alone for a whole day? That's like my dream, right? Some of you are like, sign me up right here, right now. For me, I was like terrified of that. It totally terrified me to sit there alone. There wasn't TV. The cell phone service was very spotty. I realized there was nothing I could do to cope in the ways that I normally had learned to cope. And so I tried to shop when I got there. I did the shopping. Then I organized things. For those of you who know me, organization is not you know, my strong suit, so I, I spent probably, uh, you know, five minutes doing that, and then I gave up, and uh, so I was, like, sitting there in a chair by myself, and I gave up, and I was said to God, all right, I admit it, I feel lonely right now, and I just spoke it to him, I'm lonely, and I had just read a psalm, and it was almost like God was speaking. It wasn't audible, but it felt very much like an impression in my soul. John, you're lonely, but you're not alone. You're lonely, 
but you're not alone. And I let the reality of that sink into me, and the tears started to stream down my face as I realized, oh my goodness, it's so true. God is there with me in the midst of that. It was a few months later that uh, I actually went to a large country in East Asia on a uh, trip, missions trip, to a very predominant university there. And as I went, uh, I would have conversations with students and really rich time, really rich time. And one of the students I was talking with uh, shared with me that, you know, I was, I was just kind of trying to get beneath the surface of their life. What's it like to live here? What's this campus like? What's your day in and day out? Like, I'm trying to discover what life was like for him. And he was sharing things. And it was really good. And I go, well, do you have any spiritual background at all? And, and it was almost like the question didn't resonate because it was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, we don't really believe anything. And then he kind of returned the favor and was like, well, what do you believe? And, and I told him, and because this was fresh on my mind, I, I, re- I felt like, I feel like God wants to share this with me, to share this with this guy. And so I shared how Jesus met me in the midst of my loneliness and really allowed me to experience him and that I didn't have to be alone anymore. And he started to tear up as I was talking and he was like oh my goodness I just broke up with my girl or my girlfriend just broke up with me I feel alone all the time I didn't know that you could have that there could be someone who could walk with you when you weren't alone and and it was like this whole nother world opened up to him that it was possible to not be alone and it wasn't in that moment, it wasn't he decided, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus in that moment. But I said, hey, you, you know, you can learn about Jesus. Here's a Bible if you want. He was like, oh, yes, I would love that. I would love that. Thank you. And then, and then as I was getting ready to wrap up the conversation, he said to me, can we take a picture together? <laughs> because there was this moment, I think, of true connection. Because I was simply, it wasn't, I'm, I'm not the hero of that story. It's just sharing what Jesus had done in my life. And Jesus is the hero. So for all of us here, we're experiencing different things where we're at. Some of us, like I said, we're feeling blessed, right? We're feeling like top of the world. That's awesome. In no way do I want to diminish that. Keep it going. John and Peter didn't have all of their theology down, but they knew this one thing. They were blessed to bless others. And that can be our story as well. When we sense that God is doing something in us, he wants to also work through us at the same time. But some of us here are feeling broken. Like we don't feel like there's hope right now. Could be anything in life. Broken relationships, could be people that we've lost. Any number of things that can make us feel looked over and helpless. And I believe Jesus wants to meet us in those areas, too. If you're feeling that, I believe he wants to meet us there, too. But I did notice one thing in this passage that I hadn't noticed before as I was studying this. And it's this. Think about this man sitting by the gate. Who probably passed by this man? 
and never noticed it. But this man's been sitting here for 40 years by this exact same gate every day. Peter and John know to walk through this gate. They know that, you know, this is a very popular spot. This man has been sitting by this gate. Jesus may very well, we're not told in this passage, may very well have walked by this man on his way into the temple because Jesus visited the temple often. This was a normal thing that he would do. And so my guess is some of us even here in this space feel like Jesus is passing me by. I can't believe it. Jesus is passing me by again. And I want you to take hope from this story. Hope that Jesus does heal. And sometimes he uses us to heal. And sometimes he does that in the moment, in a miraculous way, like in the course of this passage. But sometimes we wait. And we wait. But if our hope is in Jesus, our hope is in the right place. Because ultimately, this man's story is all of our story. Because there is a day when the people who have trusted in Jesus for our hope, our salvation, we will be raised again and the world will be made right. And everything that was wrong will not be, will not be the same as it was. All the death is gone. All the disease is gone. Everything that we need in this world to be made right will be made completely right again. That is our hope as followers of Jesus. And I hope and pray that some of us get to experience that in a fresh way here, now. I pray that for our church. I pray that our church will be a place that, yes, this man expected money, but he was given something much deeper than money. I pray that for our church, we will get even more than we expect to happen, that God will be working in this place through his Holy Spirit in ways that we could never even imagine and that each of us will go, I'm closer to Jesus now than I've ever been, no matter what it is we're walking through. So can I pray for you in the midst of this? I realize all of us are in different places. And Lord, I, I pray specifically for everyone here. Lord, the, the group of people here that, are, that have experienced you recently and are feeling, oh my goodness, my, my walk with Jesus is so close and so, uh, just is, I just feel him so near me right now. Lord, would you keep your presence near them? Would you allow them to experience you at deeper and deeper levels within their soul? Would you propel them forward to bless others as they have been blessed? Thank you, Jesus, that you allow us to experience you in that way. Lord, for those of us here who maybe feeling a combination of blessed and broken at the same time, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in our brokenness. Lord, you often use others. You say in your word that, that you, we are given comfort through your spirit so that we can comfort others. And so, Jesus, I pray that they, people would be experiencing comfort through your spirit, even through the voice of other people, too, within our congregation in a real way. And Lord, for the people here who feel like you have passed them by, man, I, I know what that feels like. And Lord, I just pray that you give them a renewed sense of hope. 
whether it's in the here and now or in a, a day to come, Lord, that you would allow them to continue to trust in you, continue to believe that you have the best for them, continue to, to put one foot in front of the other, if that's all it takes for, on a daily basis, Lord, but to experience joy in you and hope in you and peace in you that only you can give, Jesus. Thank you that that's available to us through your Holy Spirit. So more than anything, Jesus, what we ask is your Holy Spirit would move here, in the now, and in the future. And we pray that in your name. Amen. Have a great Sunday.